Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Hey, Imago Day! It is so good to be with you today. You look lovely. Uh, I can see you there. Those of you that sit over here, you look wonderful. Those of you in the front row, fantastic. Uh, even those of you up in the balcony, I know you're up there to be anonymous, but I see you. And all of you at East Side, you look so beautiful. And I use my imagination every week to try to do this. So I hope you are doing well and that you've had a good week. A couple of things that I want to announce today. One is just giving. Thank you so much for your generosity, both to the relief fund and the general budget. And just to invite you to continue to give as you're able. Uh, it, it makes such a big difference. And we're able to do so much in the community. But above all, I just want to thank you for being faithful to God in your giving. Uh, another thing that I want to announce to you is pray for Portland. Uh, for the month of May, we are part of a Portland-wide uh, effort, really an initiative, to be praying 24-7 for Portland through the whole month of May. If there's ever a time that the people of God need to come together and pray for our city, it's now. And so we want to participate with the broader church in doing that. And so you can go to the links below to check out the website. There's two things you can do. Imago will already have some slots where we're praying weekly that you can join in those. Or if that doesn't work for your schedule, you can pick any of those times throughout the week uh, and join other people and believers around Portland to pray at the same time to pray for needs in Portland. And if you sign up for that, we'll be able to send you some resources and prayer prompts and all of that. But wouldn't it be a beautiful thing for thousands of believers in our city to be praying at every hour of the day for an entire month for the blessing of Portland. So please sign up and do that. Let's pray together in this moment that God would move in a radical and powerful way in the souls of the people of Portland, as well as in their physical and material lives. It's such a crucial, crucial time. Last week, we talked about um, Paul's really vision of what happens at the end of time. And it was an incredible picture that he paints. And I kind of thought since we're doing it on video, we could almost like TV shows go back and show you last week's message in little clips, but we're not going to do that. Um, but, but if you didn't listen to it, I'd encourage you to do so. We come to this passage today, and I invite you to turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be in verses 35 through 49. And, and, and basically, Paul is answering a question that the people of Corinth have. And the people of Corinth uh, pride themselves on being super spiritual, even more spiritual than Paul and other people. And they, they kind of got puffed up with spiritual pride. And yet they were struggling with the idea of resurrection. Like, could that even happen? Or how does that happen? And so they asked the question, how is the resurrection going to happen? How are the dead raised? What kind of bodies will we have? And, and Paul's response is pretty strong. He says, how foolish of you. 
And, and one of the first things I ask when I, when I read that is, why is Paul coming down on them and calling them foolish for asking uh, what we would think is a pretty normal question? How are the dead raised? What kind of bodies will we have? But Paul, I believe, would say, I, I, I won't quote him because this is what I think Paul would say, but I, I think Paul would say it's foolish because you've lost the plot of the story of God. And you're actually living now in the story of Corinth with all of the, the faith-limiting assumptions that come with it. For us, he might say, we've lost the plot and we're living in the story of Portland or we're living the story of America and we've lost the plot. And so all those faith-limiting assumptions that come with modernity or post-modernity or relativism or whatever it is, we have, have caused us to lose the plot of the story of God. And that's really what he did in the previous passages. He walked us through what's coming when Jesus brings all things under his feet, raises us from the dead with physical bodies, and we reign under God with Jesus on a new earth where heaven and earth have been brought together. But he's saying that because we've lost that story, we've lost the plot of that story, we're now being controlled by the stories of the day. And those are stories of death, Paul would say. Those are stories that are being controlled by the dark forces disguised in light. And they're not your story. You're not part of that story anymore. That is a story of death, not life. And that is a story that thinks resurrection is unimaginable. But the story of God, if we're, if we're rooted and anchored in that story, then it's, resurrection is the next logical step in God's plan for the world. It started on Easter Day when Jesus was resurrected and it's rolling out now by his spirit and it's coming in fulfillment with our resurrection and when the enemies of God are defeated and heaven and earth are together and filled with the light and the glory of God. That's our story. But if you lost the plot and are ruled by the story of the day, then God's story makes no sense at all dualism creeps in and we think there's this big chasm between the physical world and the, the heavenly world. The physical world is here and heaven is there and it's influ influenced the church and Christianity and it twists up the story of God. And so what Paul wants the Corinthians to do, and I believe what he wants for us, is that we would be rooted firmly in the Jesus story. And that his story would be the controlling narrative of our life. That it would be the controlling narrative of our faith and therefore the controlling narrative of our future hope. And so Paul, what he does here is he gets them back into the creation story so that they can understand what awaits them in the new creation. Look with me. In verse 35, the first thing that Paul does is he says, let's take a lesson in answering this question. Let's take a lesson from old creation. 
verses 35 through 41, he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another kind. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from stars in splendor. What I love about Paul is that if you can write something in three sentences, why not just use one? And so he has these always these long run-on sentences. But what he's saying is, if you want to understand new creation, look at old creation because its fingerprints are there. When we see this in creation all around us, we see in seeds and in creation already that one physical form gives life to new and greater physical forms. And all of creation is filled with different physical kinds of glory. And since all that is possible, then new creation more so. Seeds sown give life to a different kind of body. And so he takes them first to kind of an agriculture picture. And he says, think about a seed. A seed is just not a very glorious thing. It's just this little tiny thing. And yet you plant it into the ground and it dies. And then it begins to spring up and it gives life to a whole different kind of body. And so we think often of a, an apple tree and to think that that apple tree started out by this little tiny apple seed. And yet the the law of exponential life is within the seed, right? You can count, if you eat an apple, you can count how many seeds are in the apple, but you can never count how many apples are in the seed. The seed is just this little tiny thing, and yet it gives life to this abundance of fruit. And so he says, that's the same New creation is going to come and it'll look similar to that, that kind of small body that goes into the dirt and gives life to this glorious, fruit-bearing, abundant kind of thing. And then he takes them back to Genesis 1 and 2. And he goes all through the creation story. Remember, their question is, how in the world can can the dead raise? What kind of bodies will they have? And he takes them to old creation. And he says, you already see that there is different types of physicality in the old creation, and they all have it, their own glory. And the creator who made all of those types of bodies is quite capable of making a more glorious creation. And by the way, Jesus is the model for that. And so the creator hasn't abandoned his project. He hasn't escaped to heaven and washed his hands of this corrupted earth. No, he is working out a new creation within the old one. 
And the blueprint for it already exists within the old creation, seeds and plants and birds and bodies. And he's kind of telling them, you can already differentiate between different kinds of physicality, different kinds of bodies. No one looks up at the moon and says, hey, is that, is that grandma? No, you know the difference between the moon and grandma. No one looks at a beautiful uh, bird like a robin and says, oh, it just reminds me of my golden retriever. No, all these bodies have their own glory to them. Birds have a specific kind of beauty and glory, and dogs have another. Even pugs maybe have glory to them um, in God's eyes. I don't know. But the, the point that he's making is you can already differentiate the multitude of glory within the old creation. And you can already differentiate the different types of physicality and bodies within the old creation. So the future new creation will be more glorious when everything is made new. And Jesus, by the way, has already ushered in the beginning of that process. So he says, the first thing is take a lesson from the old creation. And then he says, your future forever body is going to be better than that. It's actually going to run on the life of the spirit. Look with me at verse 42. He says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Resurrection will be when our old bodies, these perishable seed bodies, are sown into the earth at death, and they will be raised at resurrection, imperishable, new glorified bodies. And he's contrasting this, our old bodies with the new bodies. And as Joe shared today in the call to worship, we hear stories of the sense of weakness, uh, the bodies that don't match the soul anymore, that a very minuscule virus is, is taking our lives in some cases. That is a dishonoring sort of thing to the glory of creation. And yet we have a fallen world and a corruptible world. And so he says, those, our current bodies are perishable. And when we die, they are sown into the ground like that seed. But one day they will be raised imperishable. And so we get into this, this sort of uh, wordplay issue here in verse 44. He says, it is so natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And he is not talking about composition, right? He's talking about empowerment. And I think we get hung up because it's hard for us at times to translate the Greek into English. And so we see sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body, and we think, oh, it's sown a physical body and then it's raised some kind of spiritual body. But, but he's not talking about composition. 
it's very clear in the Greek, he's saying it is sown soma psychicon and it is raised soma pneumaticon. I know that means nothing to most of us, uh, but, but the point is he's talking about soma bodies in both. It's still a body, but the, what the word, the Greek gives to us is the, the picture of what gives that body its life, what gives that body its power. And he's saying the body that is sown is, is given a different power. It's a natural power. It's the life that we see all around us. It's natural life. The grass has it. The trees have it. The birds have it. That life is all around us. And yet that life is corruptible and it can die. But he's saying it is raised a body that's empowered by the spirit which is a whole different source of life. That spirit that is now in you as a believer, empowering and making alive your soul will one day empower and make alive your body forever. And again, the model is Jesus. That is who Paul is working off of. That Jesus was raised imperishable and his life is sustained by the spirit of God. And so, Paul is not saying that the body goes from physical form to spiritual form. He's saying that the body that was animated by the natural sense of life will now be animated by the spirit of our creator. He's not comparing composition. He's not saying that there's a wooden plane that will in the future be an aluminum plane. That's not what he's saying. He's comparing a prop plane to a jet plane. He's saying it's still a plane, but what it makes it move is different. And so if he wanted to contrast between uh, composition, like physical composition versus spiritual composition, he would have certainly done that and used different words, but rather he's saying we will have a physical resurrected body with the spirit of our creator as our source of life rather than the normal life source that is common to old creation that eventually dies and no longer gives life to the body. And Jesus has shown us that already with the resurrection. And it's this beautiful thought to think that the life that we have, which is, is beautiful in so many senses, and yet we know like when death shows up that it shouldn't be that way. And to think that this is normal kind of old creation life, how much better life that is sustained and empowered and animated by the very spirit of the creator. And that's what waits for us. And so you and I will have forever bodies that run on the very spirit of God which is something to just look forward to. So verses 45 through 49, he says this, essentially he says the model for our resurrected bodies is Jesus. Look, what, look with me. He says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. See how he's contrasting that? Adam was a living being. He had, he had that soulish life, that natural life. 
But the last Adam, Christ, is a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was with, of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. He says to us that, that right now, if you understand the story, we live in bodies that now bear the image of Adam. We are living beings, natural, old creation, living beings. But our resurrected bodies will bear the image of Jesus, life-giving spirits. Or not spirits, plural, but the spirit, life-giving spirit of our creator. You now bear... So if we went back to the agricultural picture, he's essentially saying you now bear the image of the apple seed, but you will bear the image of the apple tree, sustained by the life-giving spirit of the creator, just like Jesus. Abundant life, not a simple seed, but an apple tree, a seed that produces thousands upon thousands of apple in season and out in a new creation. Your life will be producing more life, and it all is the life of the Spirit of God. That matters. That matters not just for this glorious hope that we have, but it matters now. And here's why. Earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul begins to push on the Corinthian believers to examine themselves. And he wants them to examine themselves, asking, are you truly living at the level of the Spirit? Or are you living your life out of that which is common to all people, that soulish, Adam, natural life, or worse, are you living life at the level of corrupted flesh? Just these bodies who are decaying and are basically empowered and have appetites for fallenness, for sin. And he, he wants them to evaluate their own hearts. Are you right now leaning into the Holy Spirit that has made you alive and living as though the Spirit is your source of life? Or are you living at the very normal sort of human existence of day in and day out life? Or worse, are you giving yourself over to the body's desires and appetites, and so that defines your life. And the reason that he's pushing on them is because he knows that, that corrupted flesh and natural Adam life will not inherit the kingdom that is coming. So, so what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit has already started this process, has already rebirthed you and made you alive. And you are heading to a physical embodied future where you are made alive and sustained forever by the very Spirit of God. And so that has already started in you. Are you living into it? Or 
Are you capitulating to just normal earthly existence? Or even worse, are you giving in to the cravings and the desires of the flesh? And that is defining you. Holy Spirit reborn people are headed for a body that matches what has already been made alive in you. You are now the people of heaven. You are that now by the Spirit of God. And in the future, like Jesus, your body will match who you are now by the Spirit. Spirit-animated physicality. And so right now, we will we bear the image of Adam in our bodies. And I say Adam not in a masculine sense, but in the kind of archetype sense. But in the future, what's coming, we will bear the image of Jesus. Now we do in our spirits, and then we will completely and forever be like him, and we will know him as he is. This is just an incredible thought. You know, when, when I think about the moment that we live in, because there is so much Adam life on the news. There is so much corruption and so much death and so much suffering. And yet you see the positive sides of that. You see the love and the service and the sacrifice. And new creation is like the old, like the best parts of what we see now, but much more glorious without all of the death and the suffering and the mourning and the crying and the pain. And unlike the life now that is just sustained at the natural level, the life to come is sustained by the spirit of the creator forever. Your forever body will run on the spirit of the creator and it will never run out. And so we will bear the image of our resurrected King, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. And that is a physical, actual resurrection. And that is why asking how the dead are raised and what kind of bodies is foolish. Because Paul is saying, if you know the story, then you know that we're not stopping just at salvation. That salvation doesn't stop just at your soul, but that God's story is taking us all the way into the promised land. God's story is taking us all the way into new bodies with new creation, animated by the spirit of God and reigning with Jesus in heaven on earth. That's our story. And that is the best story ever. And so right now, if resurrection seems bizarre to you, I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to, to read God's word, to get into God's story so that you understand that that story is ultimate reality. It is the eternal reality, and it is the story that you are in at the deepest sense of who you are if you have been remade by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus. I think about areas that this changes everything for us now. Three areas. The first area is the fight of faith. 
See, the battle now is to live faithfully to who we truly are. Jesus' spirit has made us spiritually alive, but we are in these old Adam physical bodies. And so as I speak, the spirit wages war on the flesh. It crucifies the flesh. And I am to give myself over to the spirit and help the spirit crucify the flesh. And and as that happens, what, what is happening there is that the spirit is maturing us. The Spirit is preparing us for what is coming, for bodies that bear the image of Jesus, that are raised and fit, that complement our actual Spirit-born selves. And sin in that story is insanity, right? It's living in the opposite direction of who Jesus has made us to be, right? And what he's taking us to. Sin is going back to the world of death after Jesus has brought us into the world of life by his spirit. Sin is giving life to these dead Adam bodies. And he says, no, let the spirit enliven, let the spirit empower, let the spirit animate that old Adam body. Don't give it over to sin, but give it over to love. Give it over to sacrifice. Give it over to service and to caring and to witness. Sin is giving yourself over to an old creation that's passing away after you have already been ushered in to the new creation that is being made perfect by Christ. It doesn't make sense. And so, brothers and sisters, we are called to fight the fight of faith. This is our story. The second is we need to persevere in community until the end. Because together, we who bear the image of Jesus and await our new bodies, we can persevere now through all things. We can sacrifice for love. We can hold one another up into a, in a world that is hostile, frankly, to heaven's reign. And that's why Hebrews tells us, don't stop meeting together. Because when we do, we are bound to forget who we are. We are bound to live into that old Adam life. And not just that, but we have a real enemy. And who and that enemy, the devil, wants to keep us away from this new creation life. He wants to pick us off and take us out of the presence of the king. And so Peter uses this metaphor of a lion that is prowling around. And if you've ever watched those uh, Neo, those National Geographic shows where the lions are attacking a gazelle or whatever, you, you know that they are looking for the most vulnerable, the one who's away from the pack, the one who's solo. And if they can get them away from the pack, they can devour them. And he says that image is true for you. You need each other. You need to huddle up together, to gather together in the presence of your king by the power of the spirit so that you can persevere in community until the end. I know it's been really hard because we can't necessarily gather, but I hope you are reaching out to friends, uh, to other believers through virtual channels and through some of the things that we're doing uh, at Amago, ways that we can be praying and growing in our faith. We need each other to live this story out. 
And the last thing is that we are called to bring and bear witness of heaven on earth. And that is what I'm so grateful for, is that so many of you are bearing witness that another world is possible, and it's not the pandemic world. It is a world of grace. It is a world of mercy. It is a world of sacrifice. I loved hearing the story from Reuben of the Cupcake Girls and, and people dropping off uh, food for a family and the mom just staring at it and crying and in shock that that somebody has, has left that there and the kids looking out wondering what's wrong with mom and they see the food and they start crying. And we live in a world today that that old Adam world is corrupted and there's suffering and there's pain. And we get to announce that there is another world. We get to announce that it is broken in. We get to be the people that with these old Adam bodies don't give them to sin, but give them to serve. And that together we are called to bring the witness of heaven to earth. And that is a glorious heaven that awaits us, that is present, and we get to break it in. And so I know some of you are gonna do communion now, and I just wanna give a thought to that. You know, all of this beauty that I just talked about today started on Good Friday, when Jesus, who took on that old Adam life, our natural life, he suffered and he died basically to ransom the world back to the creator, and you were included in that. And he was buried like that seed in that perishable body, but he was raised imperishable in a physical body that will never see corruption. He is the one who ushers in the resurrection life now that we have by the Spirit, and will one day have both body and spirit together. And I want you to think on that as you celebrate today with the bread and the wine, that we have this hope because the risen and resurrected Jesus died our old Adam death so that we could bear the image of the new Adam who is of heaven. And so brothers and sisters, I just wanna, uh, Pray for us now and send us on our way. God, thank you so much for your glorious hope. And thank you, God, that even as beautiful as old creation is and so much life that we see in it, God, there is a new creation coming. And that new creation will be animated, that it will be made alive by the Spirit, your very Spirit, the Spirit of its Creator, and it will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade, and it will endure forever. And so God, I thank you so much that all of that is possible because of Jesus, the one who became who we are to make us who he is. And for that, we give you thanks today and we give you glory. Imago Day, may you walk in the hope of your future in the present, made alive by the Spirit of God. Amen.